Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, August 17th. We begin with a look at stories making headlines across the country. We catch up with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Mercedes brings us details on the RCMP looking into foreign states potentially intercepting electronic communications of Canadian politicians. Then it's our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Chief Newfeld brings us the latest on the steps the CPS is taking to help address security and safety concerns when it comes to Calgary Transit. Back to school means getting your student ready for the new year, but beyond school supplies, how is your child's sleep routine? We learn about the impact sleep has on learning from Margaret Eaton, CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association. And finally, are you suffering from the end of summer blues? We speak with psychotherapist and mental health advocate Debbie Opoku on how to avoid slipping into depression as we close out summer and move into the darker, cooler months of fall. Could foreign agents be using sophisticated spyware to spy on us, uh, spy on rather, and intercept electronic communications of Canadian politicians? Joining us to discuss is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, This sounds to me almost like something out of Hollywood. RCMP warning MPs that foreign states could be implementing software to intercept electronic communications. What, What can you tell us about this, Mercedes? So this is basically the ability to turn on um, things remotely on a phone, not just your basic intercept of, of email or phone calls, um, which has been around for, for a long, long time. This is actually being able to turn on the microphone, for example, on a phone that's sitting on someone's desk so you can hear the discussion of anyone who's within earshot. Uh, it's being able to turn on the camera remotely to see who's there. And this uh, actually came up at a committee meeting where the RCMP were being drilled on using this in criminal investi- investigations in Canada. Um, it's a little bit different than wiretapping because they are able to access so much more and there's some privacy concerns uh, as well about people around you. And, and the senior RCMP officer who was being interviewed said, you know, it's not just Canada who's using this kind of technology. It's, it's been used 49 times in Canada in total. It's a pretty limited in criminal investigations with a judge. We're worried about beyond that, he's saying to these MPs, that it's actually being used on people like them, on members of parliament uh, in highly sensitive situations where there is no judge, there is no signing off of the warrant. Um, And so they're actually warning MPs to be careful. Uh, They have apparently met with MPs. They were very cagey and careful about what they would say in terms of whether or not they've actually investigated this or ever found this kind of spyware uh, on a member of parliament's phone. But they did say, we have been involved in national security investigations that include things like security and surveillance um, and, uh, you know, wouldn't say who potentially they were specifically talking about, but obviously experts we were talking to were saying, well, largely China and Russia would be two of the main concerns about having uh, this type of technology that could be used on MPs. And of course, this is all elevated a little bit with virtual parliament and a lot of these MPs working from home because it means they're doing a lot more on their smart devices than they might otherwise be doing. Uh, But keep in mind when you're talking about the ability to turn on a microphone or a camera, you don't have to be working off of that device. It just has to really be in the room to be able to pick up that kind of very sensitive information. Scary stuff. Let's switch gears, but still kind of in the same world, talking about an app that many Canadians have on their devices, their phones, or of course their iPads or uh, tablets. The Arrive Can app, it's getting a lot of blowback, Mercedes. And uh, we're wondering at this point, where do we go from here? What's gone wrong and what's the future for the app? 
Well, I think that's the question. Initially, I've talked to liberal staffers who were pretty close to this. The app was never supposed to be permanent. It was supposed to help track people coming into Canada. At some point, it seems like the decision was made not to take it back. And you can see that um, in how they're starting to transition parts of it to be able to, for example, fill out your customs form remotely before you're back in Canada. Um, but there's some concerns about how the app works, especially in terms of glitching and putting people artificially into quarantine. There's questions about to what degree there's uh, a human in the loop. So, as you know, there was about 10,000 Canadians who were falsely told to quarantine from one glitch alone. And it. we found out when we dug up the documents on this, most of those people weren't told until day 12 of their quarantine that there had been a mistake. Um, and that could have pretty serious consequences for people's lives, their career, um, you know, family events, all kinds of things. Um, and then beyond that, there's just not a lot of information in terms of oversight on the app and how it's working. And that has privacy experts concerned. And they say that being falsely told to quarantine, some of the folks we talked to, could actually be um, the level of unjust detention. If you're fully vaccinated and you have no reason to be quarantined, even if it's accidental, it's not a deliberate crossing of your charter rights, um, it could actually potentially rise to that level. Others say they think it would have to be more intentional than just a bad app. But it all kind of raises the questions around um, whether keeping this app is a good idea, whether it's justified, does it need to evolve into something different? Is there a point uh, in monitoring borders for COVID anymore when we haven't seen, you know, Canada and the United States and the UK and similar countries close borders for a long time? The government insists that this is the best way for them to be able to track people coming in if there are new variants. Um, but it's certainly a, a highly controversial app and it very clearly has some significant flaws in it. Yeah, it's, it's discussed by everybody who travels out of the country because we all have to use it, so it's not going away anytime soon. I want to talk about, you know, being a journalist in 2022 and over the past, uh, you, maybe even quite, maybe not quite a decade, but you, you now have to have an online presence if you're a journalist in Canada or around the world for that matter. And you and many colleagues, Mercedes, are seeing an increase of abuse and online threats. Can you, can you give us some of the idea of the nature of these threats and uh, what is the step being taken by authorities? Is this something that you go to the authorities about? Well, um, it really depends on, on a case-by-case basis what this actually looks like. But there's very clearly um, more threats against uh, journalists who are women and journalists who are people of color. Um, and this has accelerated. It's been going on for, for quite some time and it really started to escalate around the convoy. Um, it has not gone away. It does come from both sides of the political spectrum. I can tell you I have gotten threats from both sides of the political spectrum, and it varies. It can be everything from just being, um, you know, I, I hope something terrible happens to you, um, to we're going to bring you justice. What if I was in your house right now was one of the ones that I thought. Um, very explicit threats that are not suitable for a family morning radio program um, in terms of violence and, and sexual violence. Um, and, and these are common. And there's a real challenge because law enforcement doesn't seem to be able to or, or willing to deal with this. And the question is why? I've reported threats, so many other journalists, um, threats that have been very, very explicit, uh, repeated from the same individuals in some cases. And at one point, a police officer told me during the convoy when uh, we were being told by senior Ottawa police to call these threats in, and it's a time-consuming process, right? Every time you do this, you don't just call the police and say it's a threat. It's like 20 minutes of filling out forms. Um, And I said, what are the chances you think you're going to 
you know, potentially find any of these people. And he said to me, it's a snowball's chance in hell, ma'am, because these are anonymous profiles on the Internet. The police don't have that many resources tough to find them and i found some interesting sort of systemic stuff around it as well um that for example the way a threat is worded uh it has to be a very specific threat on you which sounds straightforward um but something like somebody should hang you is not a threat i'm going to hang you is a threat so there's ways to harass people um and and be extremely abusive to them without it being illegal the police I spoke with said that in many cases, um, they don't feel that crowns and the justice system would work anyhow, that there are violent crimes, uh, that they feel there is not uh, significant charges brought in some cases by crowns or people are out on bail shortly thereafter, and that that can create a more reluctant situation. So one of the things a lot of newsrooms across Canada are talking about, um, it's, it's not about hate speech, it's not about that, it's about looking at laws that are very old on the books and asking whether they're still working in the modern environment which they were never intended for um and this is something that i know that uh police forces and politicians are starting to look at across the country but there's a really serious problem for women and it's far more so uh women of color in journalism but if you go online and look around twitter you can have a look at some of the threats that i won't repeat on here um but it's horrific it's constant and um for some of my colleagues who are women of color this isn't always daily occurrence Scary stuff. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, with us, Mercedes, because I know that it's quite unsettling when it's directed toward you. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Very excited because every month we have the opportunity to chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld and look at issues facing the city. Chief Newfeld is on the line now and he joins us. A very good Wednesday morning to you, Chief. Hey, same to you, Andrew. I want to talk about the freshest piece of news that came out when it comes to policing. It is more of a broad scope. Yesterday, province announced a plan to bolster rural police services as it continues to look at replacing RCMP with a made-in-Alberta police service. Can we get your reaction to yesterday's announcement, Chief? Oh, you know, I haven't had an opportunity, uh, Andrew, to look at the report. I think it's a, a lengthy report, kind of uh, with details of deployment. So uh, that uh, will definitely be interesting and something that uh, I want to have a look at. I can tell you that it's a complex issue, and I think um, there's unique needs and views uh, in different settings. So if you're in rural Alberta, you know, your your needs with respect to policing may be different than those in urban settings. And obviously the First Nations communities will have a, a lens they want to put on it as well. So I think, um, you know, as a large uh, municipality in the province, we're probably the least directly affected by it. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I would say right now is that we currently work closely with the current provincial police service, which is the RCMP in the greater Calgary region and in the province. And so we'll continue to do that. But obviously, uh, this is an important issue for Albertans, um, the proposal that's on the table. And we'll continue to work with all orders of government uh, around this as it moves forward and provide any advice and, and assistance where we can. Okay, Chief, let's talk about, uh, you know, one of your uh, city partners, EMS. And, and I'm wondering, the strain of ambulance shortages that we've heard so much about over the past handful of months, has that has, had any impact uh, whatsoever on the Calgary Police Service? I would have to say yes. I think we're sort of start, starting to see those numbers uh, and those situations increase. And it's not surprising. I think uh, EMS has reported... Um, you know, an increase in, in demand and workload of emergency calls that's been sustained for them. And typically one of the busiest times of the year will be right now. Um, we have uh, some, the summer season where we have, you know, lots of events and schooled out and so much happening. And so it's not surprising with staffing shortages with them as well. And then that increased demand that there will be those challenges. And, you know, on the other side of it, we've heard from uh, 
DHS about, you know, work that's being done to increase uh, the capacity and bring on more ambulances and that sort of thing. But it is a, it is a complex issue and it's going to take some time, I think, for, um, for uh, those, you know, those in- interventions to have an impact. You know, in the meantime, I, I got to say, this is not about uh, any being critical of the folks that are, that are doing the job in EMS. I think they're flat out and doing everything they can, and they're doing a great job. And then our folks, I mean, I think if you're a police officer or a, or a firefighter that's getting to one of these emergency calls, uh, you know, you feel pretty helpless uh, if the EMS support isn't available. So we're working with Alberta Health Services to try to um, have access to medical advice in cases where perhaps an ambulance isn't available so that we can do the best thing we can do. But, you know, make no mistake, our folks aren't paramedics, uh, but they do want to do the very best when they're there with when they're responding to an emergency. And so, so you know, the short answer to your question is, does this have an impact? Yes, of course it does. Um, but are we working together with our partners uh, and EMS and trying to support back and forth to make sure that, you know, folks who uh, are experiencing emergencies get the best care they can? Uh, the answer to that is yes, too. One uh, more issue I want to touch on that touches all four corners of the city, transit safety. We've talked about that for months. And I'm expecting, you know, obviously with, with school back in a couple of weeks on mass for Calgary kids, uh, transit ridership to, to move on up. So I'm wondering where we are, if you can give us some kind of an update on the CPS and uh, transit safety, your involvement in, in the plans as we get busier into the fall. Yeah, as you say, we have been talking about this, and this is always an important issue. I think in uh, big cities like Calgary, you know, transit is a is part of life, a part of how we move people around uh, a large city. And then uh, on top of that, I think in order for that to be effective, people have to feel safe and confident. And so certainly coming out of the pandemic, we're all well aware that that was not the case. And so there's been a lot of uh, emphasis placed on that. As recently as a, as, a, as a fairly formal operation there in July, I think we put out some information about uh, an operation our members did with uh, Calgary Transit. And that resulted in a number of arrests and a number of charges and a number of um, overdoses being prevented, a number of um, of uh, seizures of drugs, missing persons being found, you know, across the board, that was a real success. But we continue to to follow the data and and look at the areas where we're having issues at the time of day that we're having issues and deploy our folks into those places so that uh, we can be proactive um, about what's happening there and give a sense of, I think, comfort to um, to Calgarians using transit. As you say, kids are coming back and, and, you know, this has to be an ongoing piece of work because uh, it can't be just a project, so to speak. It's got to be something that's an ongoing piece of work so that people can feel safe, you know, perpetually on transit and not just every now and again. Thanks for your time this morning, Chief. We'll catch up with you again next month. Thanks, Andrew. Have a great day. You too. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Kids head back to the classroom in a couple weeks, and it's time to ensure they have the essential tools for success this fall, including quality sleep. Joining us to discuss the impact sleep has on developing minds is Margaret Eaton, National CEO at the Canadian Mental Health Association. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Andy. The stat, I read it earlier, uh, produced by you folks, one in four Canadian kids not getting enough quality sleep. So as parents, we want to try to rectify this. How can we help our kids sleep better, Margaret? Yeah, sleep is so important to a child's growth, and it directly affects their ability to learn, their concentration, and their emotional regulation. But we know kids are having a hard time with sleep, and not just getting to sleep, but staying asleep. So we've been partnering with Sleep Country Canada, who are making a donation to the Canadian Mental Health Association to help support 
uh, youth mental health because we know it's so important in the back-to-school season. So we've got some tips to help set up youth for success for the school year. Um, one tip is create a bedtime routine. So have a consistent time to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. Um, have some wind down time. Relax and unwind before you get into bed. Read a book or have a warm bath or a shower. And it's really important to reduce screen time. It's really important for your mind to unplug before bed. And technology can keep your child's mind active at night, which interferes with their sleep. So we really recommend turning off those devices. When you say routine and, and getting something like this together, Margaret, I know I have, I have, I have four children. The importance oh, wow. <laughs> keeps me busy. <laughs> the importance of consistency in kids' yeah. lives. So I would think that having uh, some consistent bedtime, uh, you know, a, a time of the evening set is very important as well. It really is. Having that, that routine is really important. It gives the child something that they can anticipate and look forward to. Uh, this is my quiet time. And it sends that message to the body and to the mind that this is a time to relax and wind down. So making that consistency is really important, as you say. And with four kids, I think that's even harder, especially with different bedtimes mm-hmm. happening. So kudos to you. can be a bit of a juggling act. You just have to be on top of it. And obviously, as a parent, that's your time when the kids are right. finally asleep. So I guess there's something in it for me. <laughs> Um, but let's talk yeah. about when we say Canadian kids, uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's talk about the ages that we're talking about here and how those needs will change. Whereas, you know, uh, my, my 15 or 17 year old, I'm not going to be saying, hey, it's, it's eight o'clock time to go to bed. Uh, but we are still talking about the importance, even as they get into their teens and they might not be toddlers or preschool aged kids. Yeah, especially for teens. You know, one of the things that that we also know from research is 70% of mental health challenges begin in childhood and adolescence. Adolescence is such a crucial time for brain development. And what happens during that crucial development period has lasting effects on mental well-being. And I think it's really tough for teens, especially who get uh, so engaged in social media, to turn off phones, to wind down. Um, And sleep can actually be a very predictive sign. So if you can have that conversation with your teens to say, how are you sleeping? You know, are you able to get to sleep quickly? Are you able to stay asleep? When are you going to sleep? These can all be real, really uh, powerful clues to the state of mind of your, your young person. So if you can open up a conversation about sleep, that can often lead to larger conversations about how they're feeling because um, having a sleep issue can often be a symptom of anxiety or depression. Margaret, uh, just looking at the calendar here, and the, the majority of kids, not just in Calgary, but Alberta, going back on the 1st of September. So still just a little, well, two weeks tomorrow going back to school. And although we're not uh, just a few days away, I would think that now is the time to start working on a routine like this to, to, to have it become a routine. Yeah, I think, you know, as a parent, too, the the schedules get a little different during the summer. And it's hard to get kids back into a routine once the fall starts. So absolutely, starting a little bit in advance to try to get them reminded that they're going to have to get into a different pattern, a different way of uh, heading into the school year, I think it's really important, especially as kids are probably experiencing a bit of anxiety about going back to school. Um, It's always a bit of a stressful time. So if you can start to... Uh, ease them into the process of that return that can be helpful for their mental health whatever you can do to have them you know successful and not those fights three days before the start of school that's my that's my mantra anyway uh, thank you so much uh, for your message and uh, thanks for your time this morning margaret
Well, thank you so much. And just a reminder that if you are having any problems with mental health or the mental health of your child or youth, uh, the CMHA is available to you. CMHA Alberta is a great resource. Just go and uh, check us out at cmha.ca. Good stuff. Thank you so much. That is. Uh, thank you. Margaret Eaton, National CEO at the Canadian Mental Health Association. As you said, just go on Google, search Canadian Mental Health Association Alberta, or yeah, and find the Alberta chapter, Canadian Mental Health Association. Past the halfway mark of August and fall is on the horizon, but there's still plenty of time to enjoy the dog days of summer. Joining us to help beat the end of summer blues is psychotherapist and mental health advocate, Debbie Opoku. Good morning to you, Debbie. Good morning, Andy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Is is that a real thing, the end of summer blues, Debbie? Oh, believe it or not, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's, it's common when the weather changes. Uh, we have this beautiful sun and we can be outside and experience, you know, the glorious weather. And then all of a sudden, summer winds down and many people start to experience this sense of sadness and, and gloom and it's getting colder and it gets darker sooner and we're not able to really enjoy the outdoors as we would in the summertime so sunlight is so great for us and we love it and as summer winds down we start to get that gloom and doom feeling so it's very very real okay debbie as a psychotherapist and a mental health advocate how how do we you know, draw the distinction between having a bad day, maybe being in a slump mm. for a day or two, and actually being in, in, in a depression. Yes, yes. So the seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. It is a real thing, and it, it often comes with the changing of the weather. So if you are feeling um, depressed all or most of the day, uh, if you have feelings of hopelessness or worthlessness, low energy, you know, a loss of interest in activities, difficult sleeping, uh, or maybe sleeping too much. That's really what you need to notice. And if this is happening regularly and for a long extended period of time, or if you know somebody that you love and they exhibit this, these kind of symptoms um, around this time of year, it's best to consult a counselor or a therapist right away because it is a very, very real thing. The end of summer blues can be a lot for people. Uh, changing of the weather, changing of the seasons can be a lot. And if you struggle to feel better, don't hesitate to reach out and get help and a fresh perspective because um, it's a real thing and it happens. And it's, it's, it's something that we, we need support for if it is happening with you. Debbie, have you seen in your profession, you know, maybe we've, we've heard about it and I think we've had more campaigns to promote mental health, is the is stigma finally gone or is it diminished enough that people are willing to go get help? Because I know back in the day that was the issue. There was a stigma attached to mental health and admitting that you're not feeling right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I remember growing up where I would have these feelings and I would have friends that would have these feelings and we wouldn't really be able to put a name to it. We never really discussed what anxiety and depression was because nobody talked about it. But we're talking about it more now. We're talking about it more now, but there is still that stigma. There is still that stigma of, oh, I'm feeling really down, and I have been feeling down more lately. Uh, I know other people are feeling this way, but is it okay for me to talk about it? And it absolutely is. And I would encourage people to talk about it because what you will find is that there are people that you may know, that you may love, that are experiencing that same thing. And if we don't talk about it and we keep it in, it gets worse and worse. So stigma is still around, 
and I'm really encouraging people and I really work towards advocating and speaking up about mental health and knowing that it's okay to not be okay and there are people there to help and support you. Just before we let you go, uh, just wrapping things up here, Debbie, I'm wondering if I've never been in this world, how do I find out you know, where I can get a hold of a psychologist or a psychotherapist? Is there a resource I can hop on online across the nation to find, or is this something I just talk to my family physician about? Well, first I would ask, I would request that you talk to a family physician because they can direct you to a mental health therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists that they may be associated with. But we also have this website called Psychology Today. And you just hop on there and you can find a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist in your area um, nationwide, um, worldwide, really, and be able to find somebody that fits your needs. And in those, in, in, you can see their profiles and they'll be able to tell you exactly what they work with, um, exactly what their specialties are, and you can find that therapist or counselor that fits right for you. Good stuff, so Psychology Tommy. Today. Yeah. Yes. Psychologytoday.ca or dot com? Dot com. Psychologytoday.com. Thank you so much, Debbie. You're so welcome. Thank you, Andy. That is Debbie Apoku, psychotherapist and mental health advocate.